This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. The Reds progress to the next round of the Champions League despite losing at Anfield for the first time in what feels like forever. However, on this week's pod, we'll be focusing back on the Premier League uh, and the pursuits for the Premier League title, of course. Two games coming thick and fast uh, in a number of days now, of course, uh, Brighton and then Arsenal. But on this week's podcast, we'll be focusing uh, on the upcoming game this weekend against Brighton. Uh, and joining us to give us his insight into sort of his relationship with the club uh, and just what he thinks of the job that Graham Potter is doing at Brighton. Uh, we welcome on journalist and producer for BBC Radio 4 and World Service Documentaries, Jim Frank. Welcome, Jim. Good to be here, Harry. Well, good to speak with you. And uh, I think it's it's always been an interesting uh, podcast when I've spoken about Brighton in recent in recent years. And you know, often we've had Andy Naylor on from The Athletic and you know, he... Lived in Brighton, supported Brighton for you know majority of his life as well, and uh, has um, often gone into detail around sort of the journey they've been on, uh, and, and, and certainly how impressed he's been over the past couple of years in terms of the work that's gone on at the club and uh, some of the development that's been uh, visible for all of us to see under Grant Potter. But before we get into anything around this season, I, I did want to ask you, um, as you're also sort of a lifelong Brighton fan, one, how your relationship started with the club, uh, sort of what your first couple few memories were of of following Brighton, um, and then also actually just perhaps what your what your favourite memories of, of following Brighton have been. Sure. Well, I, I'm a local lad, so they they were they were the nearest team, and uh, I begged my my dad to take me, and yeah. eventually gave in and took me for. a my birthday. How old were you? I was eight. That ah. was my first game uh, in the 70s. And then uh, Brighton lost that game and <laughs> were relegated that season. Um, that could easily, have, that could easily have damaged your relationship there. It could have done. It could have done. But I, 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 and I, so I, I didn't go for a couple of years after that and then picked it up again 
when um, Alan Mullery was the manager, and he had an excite. He put together an exciting side. Mark Lawrenson, who then of course went on to play for Liverpool. Yeah. Peter Ward, Brian Horton, and they rose through the divisions and got into the the top flight as the the old first division, as was then I think in seventy eight seventy nine and stayed there for four years before being relegated and then plummeting through through the divisions uh, as, as as they did. I think, I mean, that was a tremendously exciting time, you know, as, as a teenage boy to watch your local side have to uh, rise through the, from the third to the second to the first division, playing in front of pretty large crowds, you know, 30,000 was hmm. not unusual at the Goldstone in those days. Um, and you know how and, people talk about sort of you know teams and um, teams necessarily having a philosophy. I mean, it feels like the word philosophy is bandied around a lot these days in terms of you know, teams having a pretty well defined style of play and things like that. Was there a style of play that Brighton played during those years that you that you remembered in terms of sort of how how uh, how a Brighton side would play when everything clicked? Well, they would attack. That's what I remembered really mostly from those years at the Goldstone that they attacked. Uh, and they scored a lot of goals, so they were a good, attractive side to watch. Uh, and I think that's always been at the heart of, of of a decent Brighton side. I think the Brighton public expect expect to see attacking football uh, right up until today. Um, actually, we can get onto that a bit a bit later. But um, yeah, they've always been they've always been good to watch. Really, I mean, they've had a few. Wilderness years, obviously, quite a lot of wilderness years, in fact. But on the whole, they've been a, a good, a good team to watch, particularly at home. And in terms of your favourite memories of following the club as well, are, are, are there any things that particularly stick out to you? Obviously, those, well, are, those think, early yeah. memories will be some of the strongest, I imagine. But the, I mean, the, 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 the big formative memory was Brighton getting to the cup final in 1983. Um, Semi-final at Highbury. I remember standing on at the at the clock end with must have been about twenty thousand Brighton fans. A Jimmy Case thunderbolt uh, as we beat Sheffield Wednesday, and then the final itself, which was a two-all draw, and of course that very famous miss by Gordon Smith in uh, in extra time, mm. uh, and and the replay. We won't talk about the replay because we got <laughs> stuffed four 0 But I mean that was tremendously exciting. And I think, I mean, so in those days, that would that would be the standout memory. I, and I think, as an adult watching them, it's hard not to be have been very moved actually when Albion played their first game in the new stadium in Brighton at Falmer ten years ago. Um, that was that was a hell of a moment. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely setting to watch a game in as well. Actually, having been yeah, no, it's. Uh... It's a great place to watch football, and I, I almost want to ask as well. I mean, since since Brighton have returned to to the Premier League as well, has, has there been a particular memory that you that you think of, or, or a particular game that you um, sticks in the memory as sort of you know like well, now we've returned, you know, like to the big time? Um, obviously, Brighton have been more and more competitive, and, and we'll come and talk about this season. But yeah, was there a particular memory since the the clubs got back into the Premier League that you remember? Well, I think I think last season. Uh, the first game with a limited crowd after lockdown, actually, when Brighton beat Man City 3-2. Now, Man City were already championed, and it's arguable that they had sort of 
taken their foot off the pedal a little bit. But they were 2-0 down and came back to win 3-2 Brighton. And that was a really, that was a wonderful night, actually. That was a wonderful night. Um, so that one, that one sticks, that sticks out for me. Yeah, I, I can't remember who the goal scorer was. It's going to really annoy me. But uh, I think for me, probably the one of the uh, memories that's burned into my head for some reason um, when it comes to Brighton uh, is when you took the lead over City um, on the last day of the season when it was very improbable that um, Liverpool were going to win the league anymore. Uh, and Liverpool, of course, ended up um, yes. finishing second by one point. But there, I think there were about 90 seconds of... Uh, Euphoria that season as well, <laughs> to be honest. There were, like... there were. We went one nil up. It was the last game of the season, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, um, yeah. Was it, was it Murray? I think it could Glenn have been Murray, Murray, you know, yeah, yeah. I think it was probably, it might have been Glenn Murray. Um, but yeah, it, it, the joy didn't last very long, did really it? didn't, no. I think it just long enough for people to check their phones at Anfield. <laughs> <laughs> just realised <laughs> that it was gone. Um, it was, city, uh, that City result last, last year was really a, a, a great, a great performance. No, absolutely, it has to be whenever, yeah, whenever you're taking points off, off this city side. And I suppose, um, I mean, I mean, before we go on to this season as, again as well, I mean, since the appointment of, of Graham Potter, I mean, what have you made of him, uh, both in terms of what he's done on the pitch, but also, um, how he's carried himself off the pitch and as a manager who's, um, you know, really seemed to take into heart really the, you know, the significance of being Brighton manager. Well, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I think the fact that he's managed to improve so many players is testament for what a great coach he is. Uh, his man management skills are well known, but he's, he's just very calm and very clever. You know, he's never, he's never get, he never gets carried away if we win, never gets too down if we lose. But it's his tactical acumen during the games, which I think is, is so impressive able to switch formations very quickly, very easily. Uh, and he's got them, you know, playing a completely different style out from the back, on the ground, uh, to the previous manager, Chris Hutton, who, of course, we all love as well. But the, the brand of football that we're playing now, I think, is the best we've ever played. It's the best football a Brighton team has ever produced. And at times, it's, it's a joy to watch. Now. We we haven't always had the results that I think we've deserved. We're going through a bit of a blip at the moment, which no doubt we'll come on to in a minute. But overall, he's he's done a great job. Um, the home form's not great, but there are reasons for that, I think, uh, in the sort of forward department. But yeah, Graham Potter's done a fantastic job, and I hope he's with us for for many years to come. Although you know, I suspect. I suspect he'll he'll probably leave to to bigger things, you know, one day. Yeah, no, it's, it, I think it's, it's it's been a real stark contrast at times when you've seen you know, clubs that have a, a lot more money um, at their disposal, uh, you know, often coached by people who actually think when you um, put everything on paper, really shouldn't be in those jobs. And I think I've been thinking about matches frequently when when Brighton come up against those sides and. You know, often Brighton end up maybe losing those games just because of the 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 disparity in quality. You know, another side will have a an exceptional striker or somebody who you know who can make the difference despite the team performance not being up to scratch. And I'm thinking about even Man United games, as I would say as a Liverpool yeah. fan. But I remember the Man United game um, against Brighton. I think it was last season, wasn't it, where they, they invented that new rule where you could 
have a penalty after the full time whistle, which was a fun, yeah. was a fun thing. Extraordinary. <laughs> but, um, but again, that, that, I think, I think we hit the post and bar five did. times that, yep. that, that match. Um, I think Trozard hit the, hit the woodwork four times on his mm-hmm. own. Um, we, we, can, we outplayed them and yet still ended up losing, losing the game. Uh, but the performances were excellent. So mm-hmm. uh, even though there was some, there was a small element of fans who were unhappy with him. Right. Because we weren't winning very much. I thought, the, you know, the underlying, uh, performances were so good that it was only a matter of time before he, he, he turned it round. And, and of mm. course he did. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a great manager. He's a really good manager. And I think, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he went on to be, England manager one day, you know he's mm. he's that good. Yeah, no, I've I've been very impressed from the outside in actually uh, just seeing the way in which he carries himself, um, the way in which, as you mentioned, he's improved certain players, um, and it's just it's, it's it's always very evident when you watch a side um, and they are clearly very well drilled and understand exactly where they should be and what they should be doing, regardless of whether or not they can actually put it off. And you mentioned they obviously trust out hitting the post four, four times on that day, but. In terms of the movements, the the, the structure, uh, it's just it's been very very clear to see. And of course, since XG came into the game as well, uh, as you mentioned, there there was there's now metrics to sort of what you know quantify that underlying performance that you were talking about there. I mean, if you're not able to see a game, you, you can very often just look at it now and go, well, it looks like they performed pretty well if they if they were you know supposedly created enough. Chances to score you know, a couple goals, even if they didn't end up scoring them. And yeah, I think I, th- I think for many people looking at Brighton, certainly from a statistical point of view, um, yeah, they were very much looking at him and going, "Well, this, you know, this this can't last in terms of Brighton not you know, not putting the ball in the back of the net. They're creating so many chances um, last season, certainly that they weren't putting they weren't putting away. I suppose that carries us into this season. I mean, before ball was kicked, um, sounds like you were expecting. You know, better things based on the performances you saw last season. I mean, what, what, what really were your expectations at the start of the season before, before Bulls came? Well, I, I, it's always, it's always difficult to expect very much from Brighton because they've always had the habit, tend to have a habit of, of, uh, of sort of letting you down at the, at the last moment. But I, I, I think improving, improving the league position is really difficult for Brighton, you know, so, I think we were all hoping that we wouldn't be involved in a relegation fight because for the four four seasons we've been back in the Premier League or in the Premier League, we've had a relegation struggle each time. So this season's been really refreshing and good to see that that hasn't happened. Um, there are a few sort of nervous glances at the moment because of the, the bad run the, the club are in. But... I mean, they said that they, the club have said that they want, they're aiming to have a top 10 finish. Not this season, but they, they want to be a top 10 club. So some people's expectations have been raised. But I think, you know, they finished, where have they finished? They finished sort of, you know, 17th, 15th, 16th, that sort of position. If they could finish, you know, between 15th and 10th, that would be an improvement. Um, and with the limited budget that they've got, that would be, you know, a, that would be a really, really good achievement. Um, so I suppose my, I suppose that's what I hoped for. And so far that's, that's kind of happening. 
Um, I mean, they started the season brilliantly. They won four out of the five first league games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was an amazing start. And But, you know, that wasn't going to be sustainable over the course of the season. Um, but they've, they've produced some great performances, you know, coming back at Anfield, for instance, that stands out as being one of the, the best performances of the season. 2-0 down after, what, half an hour of it? Mm-hmm. And came back and drew two all and, and perhaps could have nicked it at the end. That was a really fantastic performance. Um, so they are capable on the day of beating or, give, or giving anyone a really, a really good game. Yeah, I was going to ask think, you actually in terms of like yeah, games that you think are symptomatic of of this season so far. Obviously, the the good in, in, in terms of those those performances and even sort of the comeback against Liverpool. But then also, you know, maybe a game that highlights yeah some of the issues that are still there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean if we're looking for the best performance of the season. I think Liverpool away, you've got to go some way to beat that, really. Mm. You know, not many teams come back from 2-0 down at Anfield with Liverpool playing the brilliant football that they have been doing. And it wasn't a fluke either. It was, it it was, it was a, you know, a well thought out, planned, structured performance. The the goals you scored were like well constructed. They weren't like somebody smashing one in from 35 yards that you really did cause us a lot of problems uh, on the day. I think I think if you're looking more more recently, a game that sort of does sum up Brighton Brighton at the moment is Man United away, uh, where they we lost two nil, but played United off the park in the first half. De Gea made a world class save from Moda. Basuma missed a very good chance. It, it's quite on another day Brighton could have gone in two nil up at half time, um, as it was. Um, United broke the deadlock soon after. Dunk got sent off on a kind of marginal decision, and then Brighton trying to press and press to get to get back in the game, which would have been one all. You know, hit the bar, did everything but score again, and then and then United broke away. I think if you look at Brighton's overall record, they 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 they've only scored twenty six goals this season from what twenty seven matches. And that's just not enough. So there's obviously something still going on up front. But I think more recently and a little bit worrying is the fact that they've conceded nine goals in the last four games. And that's very unlike Brighton. You know, under Potter, they've been very tight. And I think one of the reasons why that's happened is that, is that Adam Webster, who's been increasingly influential in that back three that Potter likes to play, has been injured a lot, and he's been out. Dunk's, Dunk was injured, just coming back. They've sold Dan Byrne, so they've had to rotate quite a lot at the back, and I think that hasn't that hasn't helped. And plus, mm. Sanchez, the keeper, is having after having an incredible breakthrough season last year, is having you know. He's a very young keeper, but there are a few mistakes there. So I think the defence needs looking at, and I think in the summer they will definitely have to buy a ball-playing left-sided centre-half because that's what that's what Brighton rely on on Webster and Dunk bringing the ball out so much, which then creates space for them to start start their attacks. So that will that will have to be addressed. Yeah, I think. 
slightly brings us on to uh, sort of the the transfer activity. Obviously, uh, the the funds that are available aren't aren't comparable with a lot of sides in the league. But I think you know, sold very well in terms of the fact that you know, Ben White ends up going for what fifty two odd million pounds um, yep. uh, to Arsenal. Dan Byrne, like what thirteen odd fourteen million pounds. Yeah. Uh, and then the spending of that money as well. I think in Wepu, um, I'd probably ask you sort of how he's been so far in it because I've not seen too much of him. But Cucurella, for example, has been a very obvious one to spot. Looked like a great piece of business before he kicked the ball. Um, yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, I think he's, 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 he's been a wonderful signing, especially when you think he's 23 years old. To Absolutely. get to get that player in for 16 million seems like a wonderful bit of business. So I just want to ask you how the new signings have done, and, and but but then also how you how you felt around about letting go of. Uh, both Ben White and and now Dan Byrne. Well, I think let, let's start with the outgoings first because I think I think Ben White. It was fairly obvious that Ben White was going to leave. I think last summer, um, and you know, fifty-two million quid is a, is a very good fee for him. He gets to put, for the club. He gets to play for Arsenal, and the and the club get the money. Having said that, I think we have missed him. Um, you know, lots of there's been quite a few Brighton fans who've just sort of, you know, rejoiced about the, the the size of the fee. But Ben White is still a young player himself, and he, you know, he can play in a number of different positions. Uh, and you know, he he was exactly the sort of player that Potter likes, someone who's very good on the ball, very comfortable on the ball, who can bring it out. And no one came um, in to replace him, did they? No one came in to replace him. No, and and again, that's. You know, Duffy, Duffy came back from Celtic after a really disastrous loan up there. Uh, and much to most people's surprise, who we, most of us thought we, we, we wouldn't see him play for Brighton again. He's, he's, he's been playing okay, but he cannot, he can't bring the ball out like Ben White, like Lewis Dunk, or like Adam Webster. So they will, I think they will definitely have to buy someone in the summer to do that. Dan Byrne, I mean, we were talking a little bit earlier about Potter improving players. If there's ever a player, uh, if there's ever an example of that, Dan Byrne is it. I mean, the way that Potter has brought him on is is incredibly impressive. From a slightly sort of um, gangly uh, player who, whose first touch wasn't considered that good. You know, Potter has made him this ferociously competitive, uh, ball-playing, ball-carrying, left-sided centre-half or uh, left wing-back. And he was on the form of his life when Newcastle came in for him. And I think, again, a lot of Brighton fans are saying, oh, Dan Byrne's gone and we've lost every game since he's gone. But he's 29. Newcastle was his dream boyhood club. They've no doubt given him a good pay rise. Very difficult to say to him, you can't go. And also Brighton have got a habit of signing players up that they want to keep, particularly the younger ones, because then you get the resale value. There was there was no no reports that I saw that Brighton were going to offer him another contract. So I think it's just I think it was again it was it worked for both parties. Right. We have missed him. We have missed him. I mean, in, in terms of the the players that we've bought in, and it's been quite quite quiet this year. Cucurella has been the standout signing. 
hit the ground running, uh, very skillful, very quick. Uh, he's, you know, he looks a bargain at 15 million. Um, I, and I think he will, I doubt, I doubt there's a player who, a Brighton player who's had a better season than him at the moment, although he's slightly off the boil at, at this current time. And Iwepu, Iwepu scored that sort of wonder goal at Anfield that you'll remember to get us back on, back in the game. Uh, but he's had a lot of problems with injuries as well, which is a real shame because he, he can pick a pass and he looks like he's got, he's scored a couple of goals. And one of Brighton's issues is that amongst the midfield players, if you look at sort of Moda, Pascal Gross, Adam Lallana, Eve Basuma and Solly March, none of those five have scored a single goal this season, which I think, you know, does help explain a little bit about why Brighton are struggling to, to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, actually, just before we get on to some of those creative struggles, just around, uh, along with Cucurella, who, who who have been the standout players for Brighton so far this season, maybe in that earlier patch were more noticeable in terms of their performances, but if you had to, to highlight a few players, and maybe even some that you think have gone below the radar a little bit, who have been those um those really key players for for Brighton? Well, I think I think Trozard before Christmas was having his best time at the club. He was scoring some goals. I think he got three or four goals, uh, creating, causing a lot of problems. Looking really lively, looking like he really enjoyed his foot, enjoying his football. So I would say he he's been one of our best players. He's had COVID. And probably struggled a little bit since then, but I I would hope that he would have a strong end to the season. Um, Adam Webster, we mentioned him a few minutes ago. He's he's again when he's playing, when he's on form, he's a really important player for Brighton, and I think he was even being talked about as a possible England player uh, at one stage. So I would say those two have been the standout players. Moda has come very, very close to scoring. That's surely not going to be too far away. This has been his kind of breakthrough season. He's going to get better and better. And they're all, you know, they're all young players um, as well. So I think those those three, I would pick, I would pick those three out really. And then, yeah, so just moving on to some of the recent games and then, yeah, you look at the fixture list and this. Obviously, on a run of four, four losses in a row. Um, and you mentioned that Man United game there where, you know, the first half, or based on the first half, certainly it felt very unfair that the game ended up the way in which it did. And that sparked off this run. Um, one thing that's been apparent recently has been, you know, Brighton are the side that dominate the ball, certainly under Potter. Um, and actually I was looking at the, some of the commentary around it and actually, uh, Brighton are a top four team, basically, in terms of possession, um, according to sort of you know, the average that they have. They have around 57% possession in most games. It's only really bettered by uh, City, Liverpool and Chelsea, um, which which just shows you in terms of the control that they often do have in games. And I think it surprises people when they come up against those sides in the top six of uh, just how much of a, you know, um, a, a grip on the game that they do have at times. But then they drop to ninth uh, on chances created. And then they fall to a further thirteenth uh, when it comes to the creation of of big chances. So I, I wanted to ask you. I mean, 
you, you mentioned there that obviously it'd be wonderful to have a prolific number nine who just you know buries everything that you give him. But also of late, has has it been more of an issue now that um, those chances um, in terms of chance creation, they're just not coming uh, um, frequently enough. Yeah, I, I think you've put your you you put your finger on it there, and that that is a worry. That if you look at last season, even though the results weren't always there, Albion created a lot of chances, uh, and that's why their xG was was predictably quite high. Uh, in the recent games, they haven't been creating a lot of chances, so that is a worry. Uh, I I think I mean looking looking forward. It pains me to say it, but they probably need a player like Alisi that uh, Palace have. Young, mm. quick, skillful, can run at a defence, you know, can take the team 50, 60 yards up the pitch uh, with an eye for goal. I think he was sort of, I think he was only 8 million quid from Reading. What a signing he's been, and he's going to get better and better. So I would like to see the Albion in the summer. Try and sign a player a little bit, a little bit like that. Someone who's got pace, someone who can run at defence, open up a defence, but also has has got an eye for goal. I sometimes feel like that's, yeah, slightly describing Tarek Lamptey at times. But obviously, yeah, he's 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 playing from that deeper position and maybe doesn't have as much of an eye for goal when he gets into those into those positions. But I mean, what have you made of his reintroduction this season after after an injury? Well, he's a tremendously exciting player. I think for him to flourish, they need to play uh, three at the back, so he plays in that wing-back position. And he needs the ball to be played in front of him so he can run onto it, so he can kind of get into gear, as it were. And then you can see him really accelerate and, and take on his man. I've seen him play this year, I think, at, at, against Burnley and Villa. He was a little bit. He was in a right in the right back position for some of those games, and he struggled to really make an impact. So he he's still a young. He's a very young player. He's got enormous potential, uh, but I think he's another one who's just recently they've looked a little bit jaded. You know, the squad's quite small, uh, and they need to rediscover that sort of energy and intensity. For the last for the last stage of the season, and an, another player who I, I feels had like an interesting campaign to be honest, based upon how his season started and then how it seemed to materialise as well is is Solly March. I, I just wanted to ask you what you think's happened happened there. Well, Solly, I mean, interestingly, I think Andy Naylor wrote a piece about Solly March in the Athletic today, mm. uh, just saying that he was he's really a bit of a crossroads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's spot on. Um, he, you know, he's not quite broken through and, and cemented a place that, that he can call his own. So uh, I think the jury's out on Solly. He must, you know, apparently he's not, not that happy because he's in and out of the side. But again, you know, he hasn't scored a goal this season. He hasn't created many chances this season. Um, so, yeah, there's a there's a question mark about whether Solly will be will be at the club next year. I mean, everyone everyone loves Solly. You know, he's a local boy from he used to play from for, for Lewis just down the road. So, as with most clubs, you know, 
fans are desperate to see their local the local talent do well, but it's it hasn't quite happened for him this year. And I suppose looking at the season, I mean, obviously a very promising, strong start to the season, putting away those chances that you've you previously been creating last time round as well. Currently sitting in thirteenth place on thirty three points, it does feel after the last four games that you know, that momentum's been slipping away a little bit. But I mean, for you with the remainder of the season, um, based on what you'd already discussed, I mean obviously comfortably safe at this stage um, given what's happening certainly with the sides in those bottom five positions um, and Everton look like they're being pulled into it as well at the moment based on games games played at the moment but what are you expecting for the rest of the season? Do you think Potter's um, going to be able to sort of help the side rediscover their creativity or do you think it's really uh, the improvements that the side uh, needs can only really come from additions at this stage I mean what are your expectations for for the rest of the season well I, I fully expect us to stay up um, you know yes. I think there are there are a few nervous glances downwards but we are I've probably put the, the mockers on it now but we are too good to go down um, I'd agree yeah. I, I, I think I I have faith in Graham Potter I think that he will he will be able to turn it round uh, if not against Liverpool, then then very soon. Um, he's he's a very very good coach, and I just think the players need to rediscover their mojo a bit. Um, and it, it is a confidence thing, you know. You could see when we played Burnley, who who incidentally absolutely played us off the park, and they were really good. When we played them, as soon as they scored the first goal, you could just see. It was almost like a physical thing. You could just see that there was an extra spring in their step. Uh, and and I, once you get that first goal, it's so important in the Premier League, especially for a club like Brighton, you know, who, where, where goals are, are hard to come by. Um, I, I think we'll be OK. I think we'll be OK. And, and uh, you know, let's, let's get those points we need to sort of mathematically be secure and then we can start properly planning for the next season. Yeah, and I, I was looking at the fixture list and actually didn't realise that actually it was quite so tough for you in the, in, 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 in the next few games, obviously playing Liverpool this weekend, then there's Spurs, uh, then I think there's a postponed game, um, or I think it's still scheduled for uh, mid or late March against Manchester City, um, uh, and then there's uh, what again? Norwich, Arsenal, Tottenham again. Um, yeah, but, the run in the run is difficult. Mm. You know, it is a difficult run in, but you know, sometimes Brighton need seem to perform better. I was going to ask, yeah, against yeah. against the bigger clubs where the expectations aren't so high. Mm. Albion have really struggled. Where Albion have really struggled is at home against teams that are below them in the league, or you know, the so-called lesser teams. That's when they've really struggled because. They haven't quite had the attacking nouts hmm. needed to break down, uh, you know, stubborn defences at the Amex. And the crowd can get a little bit restless. Uh, they're quite a demanding crowd sometimes. So they haven't found it easy to, to, to get those goals and get those wins. Uh, Norwich in a few weeks time at the Amex is, is looking like a kind of, you know, a must win game. Um, just to just to make sure, but I, you know, I I think Potter will, I think Potter will sort them out. 
But they yeah. need they need Adam Webster back, uh, and he needs to have a proper run in, run of games so they can get a settled settled defence, tighten up at the back, and then hopefully that uh, the goals will come. When's he due to be back? Adam, interested to that. Well, that's a good question. I'm, I'm, you know, possibly there's a press conference tomorrow. So there may be some news tomorrow. So I would, I would hope that he might be back this weekend or for the, or for the Tottenham game, but certainly within the next couple of weeks. Okay. We need it. Well, certainly. And just focusing briefly on the game itself then before, before we wrap things up. I mean, I, I, Given how well Brighton played earlier in the season, um, away to Liverpool, um, and actually, I think in the past as well, sort of, it's, it's always been actually a tough game in, in recent seasons, very well organised and sort of, um, have a very well drilled approach to, to playing Liverpool, I've felt. Um, how, how do you think that, uh, uh Potter's going to approach this game, you know, especially considering what you were mentioning there around some of the struggles that have, um, affected Brighton at home of late? I mean, Obviously, Liverpool on this on this title chart at the moment, um, but you know things slightly drying up a little bit in terms of the goals. Um, um, maybe it could be, could be a combination of fatigue. Lots of players played a lot of games, come back from international tournaments and things like that, and taking a bit of time to to get back to their sharpest. But n- knowing what you know of how Liverpool have been playing um, of late, how do you expect how do you expect them to approach this one? Well, the pressure's off Brighton, really. It for this game because Liverpool will be overwhelmingly the favourites to win. They're, Liverpool are going for the title. Uh, they need all the points they get. So the onus, I think, will be on Liverpool to attack, which might actually open up the game a little bit more and suit suit Brighton to exploit some some chances on the on the break. Uh, and that's that's tended to be the way that we've we've played Liverpool. Uh, Recently, so I, I I would expect Liverpool to come come at Brighton uh, on Saturday, uh, and Brighton to wait, you know, to try and wait for the, for for the spaces and opportunities to attack Liverpool on on the break. So that's what I think will happen. I think, you know, Webster, if Webster's fit again, that will be a huge a huge boost for, for the Albion. Um, but it's gonna it's gonna be a very tough game. Liverpool are, you know, in tremendous form, even though they lost the other night uh, to Inter Milan. It'll be a very, very tough game for Brighton. And in terms of, I mean, sometimes we ask this question around if you could, if if you could lift one player from uh, Liverpool side and drop them into Brighton at, at this stage, who would it be? It'd be Mo Salah every day of the week. Uh, I just love Mo Salah the way he moves. Incredibly fast, incredibly skillful, brilliant dribbler, and he scores loads of goals. So that's what, you know, I'd love to see Mo Salah in the blue and white stripes. It'll never happen, but, you know, that's, that's I think Mo Salah's a wonderful, wonderful player. That's the one, is it? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's often an interesting asking that question because I think, yeah, sometimes, even despite some of the attacking riches, sometimes the Different teams that we're we're playing, and it's like, well, you know what? We actually really desperately need a midfielder, <laughs> and so yeah. we'd we'd take Fab or take somebody off your hands and things like that. But no, I think Mo, yeah, you don't you don't have to look too far. And even last night, where he's what he's hit, he's he's, hit, he's hitting the post twice, um, but has a good attitude about it. I'm sure he'll what be. A, what a signing he's been, you know. Yeah, he's absolutely. been what a signing for you, just brilliant. 
Absolutely. Just just hope we can get that contract sorted out. Actually, just to yeah, get... what's going on with that? Is he gonna? I don't. I. I. I it, all the noises seem to be good. It just seems to be. Um. Maybe it's just a you know, big enough numbers that it's taking a while to sort of um iron out. To be honest, because yeah, it was always going to be the most complex of of negotiations. But I don't really see where he goes. To be honest, other what other than Liverpool. Um. And every, everything is set up to. To get the most out of him, so I think it's it's quite a nice setup. We, we've seen players in the past as well um, think the grass is greener um, and go off, and yeah, very often it's not been the case. I, I'm thinking the only player I've seen who's left recently, and uh, I think improved and went to another level after they left us was uh, was probably Luis Suarez, and, and yeah, and he was yeah. such a force of nature anyway. That was one of the few players that could join Messi and Neymar at Barcelona, and actually. Raise their levels, which was which was kind of scary to see at the time. But yeah, you look at Coutinho, look at some other players. It's a bit more of a a cautionary tale. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully that will get that will get sorted out sooner rather than later. Um, uh, and then just just one final question. It's, it's a weird one, out, and it's, it's definitely definitely not a scouting report either. But it, is is there is there a player that you look at in the Brighton side that you think? Um, I wonder what he would look like under Jurgen Klopp, or or you think that 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 he would um. He would fit in quite nicely to this Liverpool team, uh, and again, not a scouting report. I'm just wondering who, which of those players you think would actually be well suited. Well, Cucurella, I, right. yeah. I, I think you know, as a as a wing back, uh, but you're spoiled for choice wing backs, aren't you? But Cucurella would be a, he, he, I think he could play play at the very highest level. Um, if he carries on playing as he as he has done, he's he's he, no time at all. Settled in straight away, and uh, he's a he's a he's a very very good player. Well, he certainly looks like it. Yeah, but I've I've been very very impressed when I've watched him every time. I have to admit. But uh, anyway, Jim, yeah, thank you so much for you know all the insight there on on you know, both your relationship with the club and so you know, some of your favourite memories of of following Brighton over the years as they've you know really gone. On a hell of a journey, and then ended up, I think now probably being one of the best sides that they've ever they've ever been, to be honest. Um, and I think, yeah, an excellent manager, and what looks to be a really well well oiled setup there as well. So, really appreciate all the insight. I think, there. Oh, it's a it's a pleasure. I mean, I think Brighton are, you know, they are. It's a well run club. You know, Tony Bloom knows what he's doing. The chief executive knows how to run the club. Graham Potter's a fantastic coach. They've lost Dan Ashworth, the technical director. He's gone. Probably going to Newcastle, as you probably know. That's that's a blow. So it will be interesting to see what what recruitment's like in the in the summer. But you know, I think Tony, as long as Tony Bloom is at is in charge, and as long as he owns the club, I think you know he's transformed Brighton mm. the last you know fifteen years uh, or since he's been chairman. He's absolutely transformed the club. So you know, Brighton will never be a massive club like Liverpool or Man United or Arsenal but they're certainly not a small club now and I think they they will I think you know if you're a Brighton fan hopefully good times are are ahead yeah I think they could certainly teach a few clubs that you, that you mentioned there just how to be run better as well to be honest I think they've been uh, exceptionally well I think, well I think run. the models the model is probably Southampton you know it's very similar sized clubs in a way similar stadiums Put a lot of resources into the academy. Southampton obviously produced some amazingly good players over the years. I think that's the sort of blueprint for the Albion. Mm. But we're a little bit behind Southampton at the moment. But I think, 
you know, every, everything is in place for Brighton, you know, and then they're going to do it incrementally, bit by bit, and just try and improve and, and get to, yeah, get to be a, an established Premiership team, maybe, maybe even win a cup one day. Who knows? That would be great. Yeah, hopefully discover your your version of Sadio Mane as well. Maybe of a, a Virgil Van Dijk out there as well. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. Obviously, all these players went through Southampton at one one stage or another. Um, not to mention the academy graduates as well. So yeah, and no, I think I, th- I think it's certainly everything is tracking in the right direction. Actually, I think that um, obviously the majority of the, of, of the people listening to this podcast are Liverpool fans, but I think they've um, everyone listening to this on Anfield Index has always has always mentioned just how impressed they've been by how well run, how well drilled, how well coached Brighton appear to be. So I think I uh, certainly wish you the best for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Um, not, sure you, I can, not sure I can do that for for this weekend, uh, unfortunately, given what Man City are doing <laughs> at, at, no, at the moment. I, I, Although I, if you I'm feel like taking points off them as well in a few weeks, that's that's absolutely great as well. <laughs> see, we'll see what we can do. Absolutely. Um, well, thanks very much, Jim. And uh, just, to, just to all those who've... Uh, been listening to Rival Recon over these past few weeks. Have you been enjoying it, especially some of the new listeners who I know have been joining us um, over the past month or so? Uh, as you will have tell, uh, been able to tell, packed fixture list. Um, it's every game now feels as intense as the last, just because you know, we're back in that stage where the the bar has been set so high. Um, but there was a minor slip there from City that's you know, put things back into Liverpool's hands. Let's face it, so every game is 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 vitally important. Um, and we'll be back again because of the sort of rescheduled game here, the Arsenal game on the 16th. Uh, we'll, we'll be back again before before the weekend, actually, to give you that show out there. So it's ready ahead of next week's game. Uh, but until then, hope you're checking out all the other great content on, on Anfield Index Pro and you're enjoying the shows that we come out with each week. Um, I'm sure Jan Mulby uh, on, on his show with Trev will have something to say about some of the recent performances. And, of course, that that Anfield record, uh, was was eliminated sort of last night, despite the fact that uh, Liverpool are progressing in the Champions League. So be sure to check out him on that. But otherwise, yeah, stay tuned in for another episode of Rival Recon. Uh, there'll be one ahead of the Arsenal game out before this weekend as well. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.